Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. We're in a vision series as a church called Only God, where we're discovering that the plans and the dreams that we have for our lives are often small compared to what God desires to do in and through us. Enjoy the message. Acts chapter 2. So we're in this series in the book of Acts, season called Only God, um, which is also what the book of Acts looks like. God doing crazy things that only God can get credit for. Last week, we started off Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Verse 8, Jesus says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses. He says, wait I'm going to uh, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're gonna you're gonna be empowered when you have the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's not even an option when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This just kind of goes with the territory, and then the rest of the Book of Acts is really the fulfillment of that. So, and honestly, you and I today. We're the fulfillment of that. So when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you and I are the ends of the earth. And, uh, and what started with Jesus, what started with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're still seeing God do incredible things today. Verse 1, we're going to do like a couple verses at a time. There's a lot of ground we're going to cover today. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. In the Bible, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit, it will reference the Holy Spirit as the wind or the breath of God. The Old Testament, the word is ruach. The New Testament, the word is pneuma. And we use the word wind because the real translation is that's what it is. That's the real translation. So it's not like a word to describe it. It literally is That's what it means. And so in John 3, for example, Jesus, when he's telling Nicodemus, he says the spirit of God is like the wind in that you can't see it, but you can see the effects of it and you can feel it. You can experience it. You know, it's there. Acts 2 verses 3 through 4, it goes on. It says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to it came to rest on each one of them. So there's this physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's like people see, they're like, okay, that's different. It's like fire on people's heads. That's crazy. So fire, and then it goes on. It says, uh, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so the unleashing of the Holy Spirit to everyone who is a believer, so it's available to anybody who has surrendered their life to Christ. The Bible tells us from this moment forward, when you come to faith in Jesus, God gives you the gift of his spirit. And now there's only 120 followers of Jesus in the upper room at the day of Pentecost. And it's, it's crazy to me because there's a lot of parallels between like the commissioning of Jesus, his earthly ministry, when he starts off and even the early church. For example, when Jesus starts off his, early, his earthly ministry, who remembers um, how did the Holy Spirit presence himself at the baptism of Jesus? Dove. Front, front row, got it, always, front row. So dove comes down, physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So there's this affirmation of who Jesus is. And then out of that, he's done nothing up to this point. No, no miracles, no teaching, no resurrections, nothing. It's literally the beginning of his ministry. Out of the overflow of that, that affirmation, that identity, uh, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he goes to the desert, and he begins to just speak truth. Like he just begins to proclaim God's word and he does it to the enemy. But then the early church, what we see, physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit comes in the form of fire. And there is a comfort attached to this moment that they didn't have up to this moment. There's an assurance. There's like a, oh, dang, God loves us. Crazy. So Jesus, when he says the Holy Spirit's like a comforter, advocate, helper, when he says comforter, what he means is when you're in relationship with God and you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit on your life, it just feels good to like pray and know that like someone hears you, someone answers some, it feels good to get direction. Like where God will just be like, Hey, go give that person a word of encouragement. You're like, 
Okay, and then you go and like tell them something, and then you see you see the follow through. Like it's just like a relationship. You're in a relationship, so it's a comfort. Again, it's that affirmation. You're my son. You're my daughter. Hey, if you if you don't hear anything else I say today, God is well pleased in you, and He has great things in store for you. And don't be afraid, and don't be scared, and don't be anxious, and check fear at the door, but step into more of the things of God. So physical manifestation, fire shows up, affirmation, but then they begin to proclaim, they begin to just speak the message of who Jesus is. In a real bold way, in a way that hadn't happened up to this point, a real unique way as well. And so two things when we're full of the Spirit, um, you need to know that you are God's. That's part of what that is. Your God's, he is yours. He is well pleased with you. And you need to know that he wants more things for you, not less. Like whatever you've dreamed up for your life, he wants more for your life than you want for yourself. And then he wants to use you to be a witness to other people. And he will use you to be a witness to other people. And so verse 4, it says this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so the Spirit of God descends on the apostles, and flame lights up, physical manifestation. But then they begin to speak. It says, speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Why? What is the deal with the speaking? So we said it last week, Acts, 8, or Acts 1, verse 8. He says, um, the Holy Spirit will come on you. You will be empowered. What happens in that moment is you begin to be my witness. And so this is what we see in Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit comes on them. They are empowered. First thing they do is just roll up out there, and they just start talking to people about who Jesus is. And uh, what does Scripture mean when the Bible says speaking in tongues? So we're going to talk about tongues today. Who's uncomfortable? I'm so excited. Some of y'all are uncomfortable. Some of y'all are real excited. Some of y'all are real excited. And some of y'all are like, oh, bro, I brought a friend. Like, this is, come on. And so depending on how many of you grew up, you grew up, uh, Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian? You grew up Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian? Okay, cool. How many of you grew up Lutheran, Episcopalian, or Catholic? Awesome. How many of you grew up Pentecostal, Charismatic, Church of God, Assemblies of God? Usually you make more noise than that, but yeah. And so, yeah. So extreme points of view for people depending on, like when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, extreme points of view depending on the camp and the tradition that you grew up in. Some camps, some tradition are so averse, so afraid, so fearful of the Holy Spirit. They don't even have a trinity. They have the, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. They're just like, let's just don't talk about it. Don't look at it. Somebody is expressive in worship. Like if somebody raises their hand in church, deacons have a meeting. You know what I'm talking about? Like that kind of thing. And then, you, and then there's a whole other camp over here, very expressive, leaning very heavily on the gifts. And, uh, and, and sometimes would abuse the gifts or exaggerate the gifts or really just not know what Scripture has to say. Really excited to have a gift, ready to just like use the gift and, and in ways that Scripture wouldn't necessarily uh, affirm or condone. And it might look like, um, you know, so for example, we're, we're not going to bust out any snakes. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to put y'all, y'all like, okay, cool. Uh, we're not going to start a hula hoop team. We're not going to like, there's going to be none, like we, there's going to be none of the people who, um, people who have certain gifts, miracles, prophecy, tongues, that kind of thing. People who there's, there's certain gifts that um, the Bible has clear direction guardrails on how we exercise those gifts. It's like, okay, who are we as Soma? Where do we stand if there's extremes to either of these scenarios? Um, we, we stand with Scripture. And so here's where it's at. There, we're, we're standing like right where, where Scripture is. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Apostle Paul, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so it just is going to feel like freedom. It's just going to feel like, man, if you want to express yourself in worship, actually it's better if you're not focused on what's going on around you and just more focused on Jesus. That's the whole reason why you have gifts. So that you can point people and exalt Jesus. You can point people to Jesus. You can make much of Jesus instead of yourself. The issue is when sometimes we make much of our gift or we make much of ourselves or we we're just too focused on, on that. We can become a distraction for people. So freedom to worship, freedom to sing, freedom to shout for joy, clap, praise, be grateful. So um, as a church, we believe in the full manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you're free to be who God called you to be. 
You're free to worship God, but you need to do it mature, discerning, and then knowing what the scripture has to say about your gift. Because that's where it gets weird and saucy and people get a little freaked out. Okay, so tongues has three different expressions in scripture. Acts 2 is all about evangelism. So when it references tongues, it says these men and women, 120 were in the upper room, and they came out and they began to speak in an unknown language to them. And the Jews who were in town for the Pentecost festival heard their own language. So someone came out of the upper room, and they began to speak in a language they had never spoken in before, but it was a real language. And then someone who was in the region, they heard it, and they said, that's my language. You and I, when we hear the term Pentecost, we think of it in terms of like church calendar or whatever. But for Jews, it was like a, it was a festival. It was a, it, was a, it was a celebration. It was a harvest festival. It was a national Jewish block party, okay? And so it was just like everybody came in from all different regions, all different cultures. Again, Jews and even non-Jews were in the territory, and that's what the setting is. And they're just like, they're having a party. They're having a great time. And so upper room, they come out and there's all these different people. They begin to speak. It's like if somebody from Alexander County just like walked up out of the upper room and just started speaking fluent Mandarin with no accent. Or shoot, Alexander County. Somebody walked up and just started speaking English with no accent. You know what I'm saying? Ah, shots fired. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, seriously, stop. But seriously, so, but it's just like people, they just begin to speak and God, God was like, God leveraged it. He leveraged this to just make non-believers and everybody just wake up and go, what is going on? They're speaking in my language. Like they're telling me about who Jesus is, but they're not from around here. You know what I mean? And so that's Acts 2. That's one example of tongues. Another one, Romans 8, Paul talks about prayer language, which is different. And so he says, you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says there's a gift of a prayer language, a gift of tongues, where the Spirit gives you utterances and prayer language deeper than words. And so um, that's what the Bible's talking about in Acts, or excuse me, in Romans 8. And, and it's very biblical because it's in there. This is Romans 8, you know what I mean? And Paul actually, he says, hey, I pray in tongues more than any of you. And so he's like, but, but the way that we do that, it's a personal prayer language, is for you. It's not that beneficial, not that helpful, because nobody knows what you're saying. It's just literally a prayer language between you and God. And so the idea is pray, but, man, don't disrupt, don't distract from worship for other people. Get you some if that's your gift, but also uh, don't be a distraction. And then the third thing we see in Scripture is direct revelation from God. So people who will pray or, excuse me, people who will speak in tongues, and then there's an interpreter in Scripture who will stand up and interpret what somebody else said in tongues. And some of y'all are completely, y'all are like, I've never heard this before. So, but again, it's in scripture. For example, if you read 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, check my math on all this. Um, Paul talks about the gifts of the spirit. Our whole vision as a church is centered in, you know, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 talks about, hey, even though you're many members, you're one body. Even though you got different gifts, you all got different stories. You came to faith in Christ in different ways. You're in a different place in following Jesus and you're all gifted in different ways, more collectively, you're, you're a better image and, and a better representation of who Jesus is than you are in isolation. So the idea is to exercise your faith. You can't do life or faith alone. You got to do it together. That's our vision as a church. And so uh, in Scripture, when people would get a direct revelation from God and people would begin to speak in tongues, there would need to be someone there to interpret. And what we would see in the church in Corinth, for example, because Paul writes about it, he's like, you are gifted, awesome calm down. Like that's basically what he says to the church in Corinth. He's like, y'all are wild now. Y'all are crazy. You're freaking people out. You need to chill. And so, um, that's it. That's his word about, this is what he says in first Corinthians 14, 19. He says, but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. In other words, it ain't helpful. They don't know what you're saying. First Corinthians 14, 39 through 40. If you keep reading in that same passage, he says, but do not forget, don't forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. Like, you ought to have order. It's, and, and so um, 
basically order is what God said in his word, everything that we've already covered. But the idea is to not be a distraction. Use your gifts, lean into your gifts. Don't be a distraction to people. But you're meant to exalt Jesus and edify Jesus, draw people closer to him. A few years ago, we had a, a lady, a girl, show up, and she had the gift of dance. And I say a few years ago, she, I don't, I've not seen her. So if you're here, we love you. We're so glad you're here. But I have, have, I'm, she's not here. So a few years ago, she just came. Like the, she, just, she just came. And she had the gift of dance and exercised that gift everywhere. Just was dancing just everywhere. And, uh, and it's good that she had that gift. Like she wanted to worship God in that way. But overwhelmingly for everybody who was here. Now, what's funny to me is like I was here and I was just kind of cruising. I was just doing my thing. But I was watching everybody's eyes. Everybody was so freaked out. And, uh, and then during the service, she just kind of like laid prostrate like on the floor. But in the doorway, it's like a really inconvenient spot to lay on the ground. She was laid face down. And I'm assuming intercessory prayer. Again, she loved, I'm, she like was real. Like she loved Jesus. She, but, but also massive distraction. And so just going, okay, what's good? Like, what's a good move for me? And really pray. You need prayer discernment. You need some maturity in following Jesus and you need a filter of scripture. Hey, what's, what's going to help serve people and how am I making this? I, I, maybe I'm being distracting with what I'm doing. Um, to encourage you, I worship today different than I worshiped 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And Bible says, earnestly desire the gifts of the spirit. I desire gifts today that I didn't desire a long time ago as I started following Jesus. And so it's like, there's more. And the Bible tells us that like, you just want, you got to want it. You got to desire it. You got to earnestly desire it. You got to seek after it. And, and it's kind of like, we're good with two or three. Just give me it's like two gifts. I'm good with that. And then God's like, that's so dumb. Like, I want you to have everything I want you to have. Don't settle for less. Like, it's, it's there. It's available for you. So in our church, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But we want to exalt Jesus, not ourselves or our gifts. That's the whole idea. So um, that's just the first four verses. So here's so first five. It says this. Now... Um, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Again, national block party, Pentecost. When they heard this sound, that is people beginning to speak in different languages and, and uh, speaking the gospel in all these different languages, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them... We, we hear them in our native tongue, both Jews and converts to Judaism. And then if you scroll and tell you where everybody's from in the next few verses, and then verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so I love that because it's a reminder. Our job as a church family is to just declare the wonders of God. Like the mighty works of God is literally all we're supposed to do as a church family. We get together, we sing about them, get together, we talk about them. Hey, we're just reminded, hey, look at what God did. Isn't that crazy? Somebody has a personal testimony. Last week during this service, really across the weekend last week, there was 11 people who made a decision to surrender their lives to Jesus. And one story, Erin, who was here at this service, uh, she stepped forward. She shared with Bob and Sally. She just began to kind of tell them their story. And she went forward. We're doing this thing with a light wall back behind the coffee, you know, where people are like lighting up light bulbs. Basically just a vehicle for you to share your story of what God's doing. But it's just like there's mighty works attached, not just to Scripture, but your life. Like uh, restoration, relational breakthrough, healing, shift in perspective. Hey, I was a real jacked up dude. And now I love the Lord. Like, you know, all, like there's mighty works attached to that, but that's our job is to share God's mighty works. But a lot of times we're limited when it comes to expressing the message of Jesus. So when gatherings like this are started, we have decisions to make around context. For example, when you start a church, you have to decide like where, you know, <laughs> I mean, you could do like a YouTube and you, know, you could be online or whatever, but you have to decide, what, God, where are you sending us? Where do you want us to go? Who do, you, who do you want us to serve? And even the way and the style and the methodology of church really kind of limits who you're going to end up serving. So you have to make some decisions. One decision you have to make is what language you were going to preach. Uh, and I chose English because that's the only language that I know how to speak. And so it was a really easy one. I was like, we're going to do English. And so it's not that we're never going to do a Spanish service or never going to have somebody translate or never. I mean, maybe you're bilingual when you speak French. Amazing. God can use it and he could, he can reach people in different parts of the world. 
But, but we're limited by context and we're limited, uh, you know, with, with factors like language. But what's so amazing to me about the first message ever, this is the first gospel message preached, this is even before Peter preaches, is Jesus pe- preaches the first message of who he is through these followers in the upper room. And then he tailors that message to exactly what people need in their language, in their dialect. That is bananas. So I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but like that's the first message that's ever been preached. And it was preached in a way that only God can preach it. Look at verse 12. They were amazed. They were perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Which is exactly what you and I would have asked. We would have been like, what is happening? And so uh, people, even people who didn't believe in Jesus were blown away and in awe of the mighty works of God. And I feel like church and gather, church not in terms of program or in terms of uh, attendance or in terms of organization, but church in terms of people and gathering as a people ought to be marked by the awe of God. That ought to be the thing that drives the thing forward. We talked about it last week. What's the catalyst for the early church? The reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Also, what's the catalyst for today? The reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's it. And a lot of times churches get mission drift. And what happened, COVID's a great example, where COVID expedited trends, COVID revealed a lot of things. And so the church looked like it was going in decline. People are like, oh, man, everybody's left the church. COVID ruined. COVID didn't ruin the church. Church was already ruined. So COVID, COVID just, COVID just, people just got an excuse to not show back up is really what it was. And so they, but they weren't there in spirit and they weren't, definitely weren't in awe for a long time. So, and it's not every church, but there was a lot of churches that just forgot the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, made it about other things. And it just died a slow death or a quick death or whatever. But it's like, we got to have awe. That's the thing that you need an encounter with God. You don't need to attend a thing. Like th- this, is a, this is a system and a vehicle that we have for you to have an encounter, but it's not about checking a box. It's not about showing up at an event. It's not about, okay, I got, you know, I've done four out of the five. Like it's not that. You have to have an encounter with God or it just does not work. <laughs> you need all in your life, which is exactly what they have in the first church. And because there's no awe at the things of God, there's no wonder for the mighty works of God. Um, man, the church is hurting. And people want to be a part of that. People want to be a part of a movement. They want, to, they want to experience God. That's the reason why people are even trying church. Verse 13 says this. Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. People come out, begin to speak in languages that are not their native tongue. People hear what's going on and say, that's a message for me. I can hear exactly what they're saying. It's in my language. And then other people, onlookers, look at what's going on and they go, that's ridiculous. Now, it's so encouraging to me that on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit comes. And even then, there's people who are like, that's dumb. That's so encouraging to me. Because it's like, I mean, if you can't, like, if, if when the Holy Spirit comes and the birth of the church and the empowerment of the Spirit, if that moment doesn't hit for everybody... Like, you, you know, it's not going, it's never going to hit for everybody. Like, that's the whole point. I, I, there was a, a few weeks ago where I, um, we had a message and I was so energized by like what God was doing. Like we had people really getting right with God and just God was messing with people. And so they began to repent and I could just see it on faces and people responding and uh, making decisions to follow Jesus. And it was such a good day. Same day that all that took place, there was this brother on the front row. And uh, I'm not going to say which service, but it was a dude who was just gone, just sawing Z's the whole time, just drooling and just dead. And so much so that his buddy was like, bro, you got to wake up. Like, and so he had to wake him up like three different times. I'm like, same day where all these people got wrecked, there was a brother just sleeping. And, and, and he's not here right now, so y'all don't look, okay? So like, because y'all are like, where he at? Um, but but that's, that's, I mean, it's so wild. Um, in Galatians 1, here's what Paul says, Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And then Paul says, man, if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Yes, sir. So he's like, just be faithful. 
just be obedient. Just do what God's asking you to do, and it'll land some. This is the reason why Jesus talks about the parable of the soil. It's like you and I, our job is not, you know, our job isn't to save people or to sanctify people. Our job is to just sow seeds. And he's like, there's going to be good soil, there's going to be bad soil. And, and so there's going to be some people that are really leaning in, wrecked by the things that God's surrendering in their life, just really moved by what God's doing. There's going to be some people who are just sleeping, you know. So, like, you don't get to determine who grabs hold of it. Your job is just to be a witness and just to share Christ. It's not in the delivery of the word, but the condition of the heart that determines if you get anything out of it. So, because uh, you can attend church all day long, but if your heart's not in a place to receive it, it just lands on the wrong type of soil. And so you really have to say, God, what's the condition in my heart? Because when your heart's conditioned, the vehicle doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's delivering the mail. They don't have to be the best communicator ever. They don't have to be a celebrity pastor. They don't have to, they don't have, to have none of that junk. They just have to just speak God's word. And it's like, ooh, that hit. Like my kids sometimes will bring me to a place of repentance Way more than, than just because my heart is conditioned in that way so that when they say, hey, dad, and they remind me of what I've taught them, it just hits a little different. And so but but it's all about the heart. And so just checking yourself, asking yourself, hey, where's my heart at to receive the things of God? But also be mindful that as you witness to people, it's not on you whether or not they really come alive or whether they respond or whether anything happens. Your job is literally just to sow Seeds. Look at verse 14 and 15. Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I love that the opening line of the first message, again, not the one preached by Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to contextualize to everybody's language. But when Peter stands up, he's getting ready to just unpack what's happening and the gospel and he starts with they are not drunk it is only nine that is his that's his opening line and uh and why does it matter because pentecost again national block party i don't know if you've ever been to a jewish wedding but you know what i'm saying like they turn up and so he's like listen hey it's only nine in the morning they're not drunk and Peter addresses this massive crowd of people who are all gathered in the region the bible tells us 3000 people respond we don't even know how many people are there Thousands of people are there. Same guy who six weeks prior could not claim Christ is the same one in this moment that is standing up boldly. And I'm going to read you his message. It is not a soft message. It's not like a feel-good message. He's just like coming at you, coming at your life. And so, but the same guy, like what was the difference in six weeks from the time that Peter denied Jesus to this moment where he boldly proclaims Christ? Again, you will all be my witnesses Two things, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So he spent years with Jesus, knew things about Jesus, heard Jesus' teachings, saw things happen in other people's lives. But there's just something that hit different the moment where he realized who he was in relationship to who Jesus is whenever Jesus came out of the grave. And he was like, whoa, okay, that's different. And then also the power of the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, God gives him power and strength that he doesn't have and is just his own natural self and so those two things that drive the church it happens for peter in this moment he stands up and begins to share with people um, look at what he says acts in 2 verse 16 it says this is what this is what was spoken by the prophet joel so right after the opening line of they're not drunk it's only 9 a.m he said it, it, the first thing that's out of his mouth and i love it so much because he just points people to Scripture. He literally just points people to God's Word. Think about how nuts this is. He just walked up out the upper room. There was 120 of them. I would have totally flexed that. You know what I'm saying? I'd be like, 120 of us, you fools weren't in there. Like, I, I would have done that, and he doesn't do that. He's not like, hey, I'm, I got the Holy Spirit, um, jokers. Like, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't say, I roll with Jesus for three years. You know what I mean? I was like top three. I was like in the top of the line. I was like probably like number two or three in the lineup, like Mount of Transfiguration, like a big deal. Like he doesn't do any of that. He just says, here's what God's already said about this moment in Joel. And so just to encourage you, that should be your play. Like as you're witnessing to people, as you're sharing your faith with people, yes, tell them about the things that God's done in your life, but also like what has God already said about who they are? And about what he's doing. Here's what he says in Joel. 
Verse 17, he quotes Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I'm going to go back. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Hard pause. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Hey, you'll be my witnesses. And gender, you'll be my witnesses regardless of your gender, regardless of your age, regardless of your economy. Servants, like anybody, anybody, anybody can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And this is the one I want to camp out on. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that because he says it's a conditional promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But everyone, if you break that down, the original language, it means everyone. That's what that means. They did a good job translating that. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will experience salvation. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? That's the question. Because Jesus, for example, in the book of Matthew said, man, there's going to be people who call out, Lord, Lord. And they're not going to experience salvation. He's going to say, hey, you never knew me. That's the reason why our first part of our vision is we want you to know God. We want you to know God. We want you to intimately be in a relationship with God. So he says, there's going to be people who know things about me, people who've been in a church space, people who like consent, mentally assent to the idea of Jesus or even the idea of God. That's different than surrendering my life to Christ. That's different. And so to call on the name of the Lord means I realize I need a savior. And I'm calling you to save me. Like I'm I'm literally calling on the name of the Lord because I need I've come to the end of myself. And I realize who I am in relationship to who Jesus is. And that's the moment of your salvation. Like everything necessary for your salvation has already happened, which I know is hard for us to like in like our American brains. We're like always trying to like work the thing. But it's like everything already necessary. Like Jesus has paid for everything already. It's just whether or not you cash in, like whether or not you want what he has to offer. And calling on the name of the Lord looks like putting your full weight on the gospel, trusting him, not with just part of your life, but every aspect of your life. Because people love to trust him for heaven, but we struggle to trust him with relationships. We struggle to trust him with sexuality. We struggle to trust him with finances. We struggle to trust him with, you fill in the blank with whatever the thing is. I'm just trying to hit some of the hot buttons. Like you, but we struggle to trust him. Verse 22, he says this, and this is where Peter starts to preach. So up to now, he hadn't even preached. He's just quoted Joel. <laughs> Here's what he says. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter has a message for me and for you. Point number one, you killed him. That's his point. And it's like not a soft message. Again, same dude who ran from someone like six weeks ago is real abrasive in this moment in the best way possible. And he just says, hey, he's talking to people, too, that might not even been there at Passover. Like, hey, bro, I wasn't even here. We were on vacation. I had a double shift. Like, I didn't do anything with Jesus. I wasn't even at the cross. Definitely didn't, like, flog him or, like, nail him up to that. But what Peter's saying in this moment to this Jewish audience, he's saying it to me and you today. He's saying, hey, here's why Jesus was on the cross, to pay for your sins. Like, Jesus didn't need death and resurrection. You need resurrection. So the reason why he came was to pay for what you and I couldn't pay for in our own strength. And it's not a soft message. He goes on to verse 24. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. And when the church first started, They didn't have the canon of Scripture. They didn't have Paul's letters. They didn't have all the things that you and I have. They didn't have financial peace. Come on, somebody. They didn't have all that kind of stuff. All they had, here's what they were rocking with in the early church. 
Jesus was alive. Jesus was dead, and then he was alive again. That's what they had. And what does that mean for me and you? Why did Jesus have to live? Why did he have to come and even live life instead of pay the price, you know, remote or whatever? Just like, but Jesus, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life because the Bible tells us that he imputed or he gave us his righteousness. How does he get righteousness? He lived a perfect life. And then at the end of a perfect life, he says here, that's for you. Which means when God looks at you and looks at me, he sees Jesus in his perfect life. How nuts is this? And then when he dies in our place, he offers us the forgiveness of sins. Bible tells us that when you were at your worst, Christ died for you. While you were still a sinner, not when you pursued him, not when you wanted him, not when you were in right relationship, not when you were like, like when, think about the worst thing you've ever done or thought. But worse. And then that, he was like, okay, cool. That's, that's, I'm like all of it. I'm here for all of it. I'm paying for the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't stop there because that would be good. That would be good. It would still be kind of sad because it'd be like, that's awesome. But then you're still dead. And then, so here's what happens. His resurrection brought victory over death and hell. So that at the end of this body, at the end of this existence, it does not matter what life throws at you in Christ, you have victory. You have victory it doesn't matter what hard relationship thing you're going through, what hard financial thing you're going through, what the, what the, the medical report is, you lost a love. Like any of the things that life has to throw at you, Jesus is like, I got that. I own that as well. So it's like so encouraging and so freeing to be like, which is why these people were wild with this message. They were like, why would we not share this message? This message is insane. Like, so he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfection. God changes the way that he thinks about me and you, sons and daughters. Again, not because of our good works, not because of our good behavior, not because of anything we're bringing to the table, except Jesus just wants us to have it. And he's like, here, you take, you take my credit. You take, you take my favor. You take my blessing. You take my identity. You, in Christ, we get these things. And so, uh, he, so he started off with this point about Jesus. Point number one for Peter was, hey, your sin, your brokenness, the things that you've done in your life is the reason why Christ died. And then he starts, the second point's not that, it's just as equally, it's just as hard. He says this in, in verse 29. Uh, this is after he's talking about, he starts talking about King David. Because he's talking to a Jewish audience. Oh, they love King David. Oh, yeah, let's talk about King David. King David's the man. He's awesome. Verse 29, here's what he says. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. David is awesome. Let's talk about David. He's the man. Also, David's dead. So, like, and, so, and he was telling everybody who's there, get this message outline. Hey, we all killed Jesus. We're all going to die. Like, that's the second point. And it's like a real sobering, not feel-good message, but also true. And, like, we avoid it. We don't like to talk about it. don't like to deal with it. And yet the reality is, just in first century Palestine, it's the same in just, like, our context today. I I hope I'm not, like, surprising anyone, okay? Like, you know, but, like, 100% of us, like, 100%, I'm thinking about, um, thinking about the fact that for us as a church family, just like looking at faces today, just thinking about there'll be some people in this room just over the next 10 years, and I'm just going to do funerals. You know, maybe. I mean, God, I mean, I could die first, but like, but more than likely, that, that'll be the case. And why does any of that matter? Because the good news is only good. It's only good if you start with the hard reality of, hey, you're a sinner in need of salvation, and your physical life has a shelf life. Yes, sir. And you need to be saved from something. Yes, sir. And so it just hits all the much harder when you realize what you're being saved from. Oh, you're saving me from death. You're saving me from a lack of hope. You're saving me from myself. You're saving me from my predispositions to sin and struggle and brokenness in my life. You're saving me from all of that. And this is what Peter starts with. He's like, hey, um, you know, we all contributed. We all put him there. And, and we're all going to pass away. He goes on to verse 30. He says, but he was a prophet. 
And he knew that God had promised him on oath, talking about David, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Talking about Jesus. God has raised Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. I love that phrase, we're all witnesses. It's so good. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, we're all witnesses. And guess what? Biblically, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're all witnesses. So whether or not you, whether or not you surrender to Christ doesn't change the fact that he is Christ. And he doesn't need you to, he doesn't need you to uh, affirm him. Like he knows who he is. And so he just needs you to, it's only for you. Like, he's not like, oh man, they don't like me. Only half of the global population. Like, that's not what he's like. He's like, listen, I wish so much that you would really surrender your life to me so that I could give you over to the abundant life that I paid for. Not just now, but later, like all of it. And so this is his perspective. Peter is saying, remember what you're witnessing is exactly what God said would happen. Like when he quotes Joel, look on, look on verse 34 and 36. David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, God gave him this perspective. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, which is the God, the father said to God, the son right here is your seat. Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Peter wraps everything up with this idea of, hey, Jewish audience, you guys have been waiting on a Messiah. You've been waiting on what Daniel 7 talks about. You can go read Daniel 7 sometime, talking about the Son of Man coming. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man when he's in front of the Jewish high priest, the the high council. And just this moment of like, hey, everything God said he was going to do, he did. And Jesus came, he gave his life, he died in your place, and he was resurrected. And it can have real impact. It it was for your own resurrection. But you got to have, you got to come to the moment, moment where you realize, I I can't, I'm not going to live forever. And also, my sin, my brokenness, it, it's not that you lie, it's that you're a liar. Like, it's that, it's that pre-Christ, it's just who you are. We're in a fallen place. Again, read scripture. From the beginning, you and I, pre-Jesus, pre-relationship with Jesus, we're just predisposed to struggle. I don't know what your struggles are, but you have them. You have them. You don't have to write them down. You don't have to elbow anybody, but you have them, right? So it's like you have your struggles, your brokenness, your sin. The beautiful thing is in Christ. All that's paid for. And then he desires to free you from some of them same struggles, some of the shame, some of the fear attached to your past sins and history. And then give us over to new life because of his resurrection. And it just feels insane for us as followers because, again, he says, you will be my witnesses. It feels wild to have this as our message, but then not share the hope of Christ with people. Feels absolutely dumb feels so dumb to say, I believe this. And then it's like, but I'm just not going to give you the antidote. Like, I'm just not going to tell you <laughs> the hack that it, it's like, if your kid was sick two weeks ago, kid, uh, you know, school starts up and everybody just passed strep around. I don't know if that happened in your house or what, but like, you know, the, the crud's going around. And so my, our kids got sick and it's like, if your kids get sick, they got a temperature of like 102, 103 as a parent, like love 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 wants it makes you compels you to like find a diagnosis like what's going on let me get you you need to be healthy let me get you help like if we just looked at our kids and we were like good luck with that like you you know versus being like hey what can we do to help you that's really what it's like to view people the way that god views people and by his spirit the way that he's going to allow for you like as you grow and mature in christ you become more like jesus you begin to view people the way that god views people which is, oh, I wish I could help them. Oh, they're struggling and they're dying and they're just like, they're missing it. And I just really wish I could help them. I wish I could get them what they need. Love diagnoses the problem. We're all sinners. Uh, we've, we've all crucified Christ. Our sin put him there. And it's your same sin that's forgiven at the cross for anyone who believes and receives 
And it's like if you had a bank account and you were in trillion dollars worth of debt, and that's a lot of debt, but, uh, but just, you were just like, you had the mindset, I'm just going to work it off. I'm just going to pay it off. I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to pay it off. No, you won't. And Jesus has all the money. <laughs> He's just like, I'm going to credit your account what you need so you're no longer in debt. And, and you, you can't pay me back. There's no way for you to pay me back. But I love you and I'm for you. And I'm giving my life so that you can experience life. And this is the gospel. And look at, look at verses 39, or 37 through 39. Here's how it wraps up. So Peter preaches this incredible message first message when people heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do I just want to encourage you some of you if you feel cut to the heart uh, it's not it, it, what cuts you to the heart is like the truth of God's word the Bible tells us that it's sharper than any two edged sword and it will cut to the bone and marrow like it'll just cut through all the bull all the things you try and hide all the things you try and pretend are fake and it's just like boop and, and so if you feel that, lean in. Don't, don't avoid it. Don't be passive. But ask God the same question. What do we do? Like, what do I do in this moment? And here's what Peter tells his audience. He says, repent, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance looks like I'm going in this direction. And now I'm going in this direction. Repentance is a change of mind a change of the way that you think about who God is and who you are in relationship to who God is. And it forces action. Like your body goes along with the way that you now view God and the way that you view yourself. Re salvation, your personal salvation is when you realize who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. So everything necessary for it has already happened. But like I have this moment of reckoning where I'm willing to repent, be baptized. What are baptism? next week every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the promises for you and your children and their children I just want to sing Carrie Job right now and their children and your family and it's just in my head right now but the blessing for all whom the Lord our God will call and so the Bible tells us that 3,000 people repented here's what's wild as a leader in the church 3,000 people repented and then 3,000 people were baptized. Bro, their connections team was so strong. Their next steps process was so tight. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't 3,000 people responded and then 242 people got baptized. It was like, nah. Everybody was just so moved to like, I need complete surrender in this moment. I got to go public. And so what does this mean for us, for me, and for you? I think as a church, if you're a Christ follower, you're already in relationship with Jesus. You just needed to be reminded of maybe what you've forgotten that we are all witnesses. And uh, it's just easy to just mission drift. Again, that's it. overwhelmingly that's the issue with the local church is that we've just forgotten what the main things are, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be mindful of things like, hey, is my sin, your sin, our brokenness that put Christ where he was? And then, hey, death is real. But also, good news, Jesus owns it all, has victory over it all. And if my identity and my trust and my faith is in him, there is absolutely nothing the world can throw at me. And, and then I'm empowered with that same message to serve the people around me. There's people in your work hurting right now. There's people in your family hurting right now. There's friends and people out in our community. But just out of a place of passivity, we don't want to lean in and be like, can I just, can I just maybe share my perspective, what God's done in my life? Let me just share some scripture about what God's doing. It may fall on hard soil. It may fall on ripe soil. To not do it is like abdicating our responsibility as witnesses of who Jesus is. So like, this is what he's calling us to do as a church family. This was not just Soma, but Big C Church. This is what God's calling us to do. And for the person who you walked in and you just had a real shift in your perspective on who Jesus is and you go, man, I have never had a moment where I've really gone all in. Like, I know I am playing games. And, and I've been exposed to the local church and, and I've been around it and heard stories or whatever, but I've never had that moment where I really put my full weight on the gospel. I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that as we close. Let me, let me pray for us. And while we um, bow our heads, we close our eyes. I just want you to think about, just ask God, 
just like we do every week, just Holy Spirit, what do you have to say to me? You know, what's tailor this for what I got going on. Would you just speak to me? And just God, just encourage me, empower me, bring, bring correction where it's needed, bring conviction where it's needed. But God, also, would you just empower me to do what I can't do in my own strength? And just bring me, just draw me to the person of Jesus. Just help me to see him, that he loves me, that he's for me. God, that my identity is in you, that you're well pleased in me. And out of the overflow of that relationship, I begin to witness to others. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and today you want to go all in, you want to surrender your life to Christ, you want to experience salvation with um, our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The Bible tells us it's important when you feel that. It's just your faith in who Jesus is. It's the grace of God, but the vehicle that he uses is your faith in who Jesus is in order for you to experience salvation. So if today you're just, you, you have faith in ways you've never had it before, and you have surrender, you have real surrender. I don't wanna just know things about Jesus. I don't wanna just attend church. I like, I wanna come alive in him. I wanna place all of my sin, my brokenness, and my past at his feet. And I wanna surrender my life to Christ. If that's you today with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we just lift your hand in the room and just say, that's for me. I wanna come alive in Christ. I wanna experience salvation today. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of playing games, amen. Is there anybody else? Just say, yeah, I just want all that he has for me. That's awesome. Amazing. You can put your hands down right where you're at. Just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for not giving up on me. And God, now, even in this moment, you wanted me here to hear this. <laughs> and, and God, just by your spirit, if you tailor exactly what people need to hear today and uh, just bring comfort, but also bring direction and um, the way forward. If you, if you give your life to Christ, if you pray to surrender your life to him, to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for leading me. I place all of my sin and my brokenness at your feet, at the foot of the cross, and then moving forward, God, would you just lead me by your spirit and, and help me to see myself the way that you see me. God, so grateful for the way that you're working in our church, grateful for the ways that you just speak through your word. And, and Lord, help us to just love and serve you faithfully. Uh, in ways that we just can't do in our own strength. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand together as a church family. We're going to end with one more song. And uh, my encouragement to you, for those of you that are making that decision, placing your faith and trust in Jesus, let somebody know. The Bible tells us to just tell someone when that's what's going on in our life. There's a next steps card right there with you. That's a vehicle that we have to communicate but you can also take it to a team member. You can also pull aside a staff member. I'll be here. Team will be here. If you need prayer, come and hit us up. But let's close out the day just worshiping together and just singing of his praises. Here we go.